Welcome to this summer's Reader's Theater. In this play, I am continuing a historical review of events important to our liberal tradition. Our play today deals with the threat of war and what to do about it, which is a subject that continues to dominate today's headlines. However, this morning we will examine this topic in a past era. It is June. 1941, the America First Committee is holding its annual convention in San Francisco. During the convention, a panel is discussing issues of war and peace. The international situation is very dark and threatening. Germany has invaded Poland and the other neighboring countries. Italy has invaded Ethiopia Japan has invaded China and is threatening other countries in the Far East. Despite all this, the United States is striving to stay neutral and avoid any entanglements in this conflict while still aiding its allies as needed. Our panel consists of Charles Lindbergh, famous aviator, played by Bob Meyerson, Next is Francis Perkins, Secretary of Labor during the Roosevelt administration, played by Joe Murdoch. Then we have Reinhold Niebuhr, famous Protestant theologian, played by Glenn Jacob. Rounding out our panel is a congressional representative from Montana, Jeanette Rankin, played by Mary Lasek. The moderator of our panel is the distinguished essayist, Stuart Chase, played by Stuart Fink. Of course, we here make the usual disclaimer that while each of our actors represents an actual person, the event and dialogue in this play, though based on historical events and writings, is almost entirely fictional. Well. I can see that our panel is assembled and the discussion is about to begin. So, on with the show. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning. My name is Stuart Chase, and I want to welcome you to San Francisco and to the second annual America First Convention. We have a distinguished panel before you this morning, as you can see by referring to your program. All of them are well known to you and I am sure require no introduction. At the outset, however, let me say a few words about the sponsor of our convention, the America First Committee. As you know, our commitment is to make America great once again. <laughs> Not only this year of 1941, but for many years to come. Our goal is to develop a peaceful world in which conflicts are settled by mutual agreements and ongoing negotiation between contending parties, not by war and aggression. More importantly, however, we seek to rebuild and develop our own American society to ensure its economic and industrial might remains unsurpassed throughout the world. This is our ultimate aim, to always seek the primacy of America, our native land, first 
last, and always. In this way, we can serve as a shining example for the rest of the world of the true triumph of democratic life and values. With this in mind, our panel will present their views about the current international situation, which, as you all know, is very precarious, and in which the issues of war and peace present themselves to us urgently each and every day. Our first speaker will be Mr. Charles Lindbergh. Thank you. At the outset, I must say I agree wholeheartedly with the position of strict neutrality that is now advocated by our hosts at this convention, the America First Committee. And I thank them for inviting me to speak to you today. I realize, however, that our neutrality laws are currently in danger because our President Roosevelt and his administration are engaged in flagrantly violating this position by offering thousands of dollars worth of aid to our so-called allies, England, in violation of the limits imposed by Congress. This must cease immediately, unless we are also choose to offer similar aid to the other complainants in the conflict Germany and Italy. On the domestic front, the current administration in Washington, D.C. is also trying to put our industrial economy on a war footing in response to the current turmoil in Europe and the Far East. This is a wasteful expenditure of our hard-earned taxpayer dollars. Since we need peaceful production of consumer goods to further boost our economy instead of more tanks and more bullets. My friends, our country is not in grave danger as some alarmists in our midst insist. There is no Genghis Khan, no Surtees, marching against our Western nation. Our shores are safe and impregnable. These troubles in Europe are simply one more of those age-old quarrels rolling our family of nations. And it is a quarrel to which we do not need to be involved. Nor does our country desire to be involved. Poll after poll today shows that the American people, by a large majority, want nothing to do with this current war because it is none of our affairs. Instead, we need to turn our attention to building up and strengthening our own country because as long as America does not decay first from within, we need to fear no attack, nor invasion of this country. Of that I am certain, and indeed we can keep. Mr. Chase, I, I must interject at this point that Mr. Lindbergh, despite his status in this country as some kind of a heroic icon, is dead wrong in practically all that he just said. These conflicts, he mentioned, will soon engulf our country as well unless we immediately take serious steps to join forces with allies such as England, currently under savage attack by Germany, to stop all forms of aggression both in Europe and the Far East. 
Please, Mr. Niebuhr, as moderator, I must insist that you wait your turn and allow Mr. Lindbergh to finish his remarks. I understand, but I was only trying to point out that this man, despite all of his heroic accomplishments, is radically wrong in his assertion that our country has no role to play in the defense against the aggressions now being committed by tyrannies around the world. And I must insist that Mr. Niebuhr, who we all know is ardently pro-war, has no place on this panel and should leave the room. Please, ladies and gentlemen, let us have some order here. I know these are contentious topics, but we must behave reasonably to get some answers. The, the world is going up in flames, and he's worried about being reasonable. Please continue, Mr. Lindbergh. Thank you, Mr. Chase. I will be brief. I believe that in this critical time, it is an imperative to turn our vision inward in order to strengthen the vision of our country as a free and thriving republic, a place where private enterprise can lead the way to creating a model society where individual initiative is rewarded, not penalized by outrageous laws and taxes, and where each individual will have the liberty to achieve their highest potential. That is my personal creed, and I pray that it is mine to be so. I pray that it may soon be that of my country. Go ahead. I just got to say that that was not only grandiose, but sickening. Mr. Chase, didn't Mr. Lindbergh recently receive an award from Adolf Hitler? Doesn't that make him a kind of paid publicist for the Third Reich? I don't think that has any bearing on his standing. I did receive an award. That is true. But it was for my achievements in aviation. It had nothing to do with my political views. You see, you see, this man is an apologist for Germany and its war aims. He wants us to just sit on our hands while Germany runs Runs rampant throughout Europe. That is not what I'm saying at all, Mr. Newberg. You totally misrepresent my position. Mr. Lindbergh, calm yourself. Mr. Niebuhr only wants to stir up dissent to promote his war plan. I believe it is time for a, a calm appraisal of our current administration's views on the world situation. Mrs. Perkins... As Secretary of Labor in the current Roosevelt administration, you work closely with our president. Can you tell us his views on this topic? Of course. Thank you, Mr. Chase. Yes, I speak with the president almost daily about his concerns for our country. These days, the international situation is very much on his mind. He is constantly trying to steer a steady course through all this turmoil, but as you know, 
He has pledged to keep our country out of war. And this is something the American people strongly support. Since we are all quoting polls these days, I believe the last poll I saw yesterday on the subject of the wartime emergency showed that 90% of several hundred Americans interviewed stated that they wanted to have no part in the European conflict. Let the dictators fight it out among themselves, the people said. Consequently, the president has listened to the people and therefore is in full support of neutrality for the United States. And yet, Mrs. Perkins, the president is still sending supplies to England through Canada. This is in direct violation of the Neutrality Act passed by Congress, an act that he says he supports. These supply deliveries are definitely an act of war, Mrs. Perkins. It is true we are trying to help our English allies in their struggle against their German adversaries. But this is because of our long-standing treaty commitments with English, which, incidentally, Congress also approved. On the matter of our possibly sending supplies to Europe through a third country, such as Canada, I know nothing about such arrangements. <laughs> Maybe you should read the Canadian newspaper. I would like to emphasize that the president feels strongly that strict neutrality is the best policy for our nation. Just the other day, he told me emphatically that he never wants to send our young people to die in war overseas again. <clears throat> Instead, he is redoubling his efforts to build, rebuild our industries and economy through government assistance to private enterprise, which will help put more people to work and improve not only their lives, but all of us. But we can't ignore the fact that many of these new jobs are created by defense contracts so we can sell our tanks and bombs to other countries to use in killing people they don't like. You mustn't forget this, Ms. Perkins. Please don't heckle our guests, Miss Rankin. Thank you, Mrs. Perkins. At least we know now that the president supports many of the principal ideas of the America First Committee. And now I would like to invite Mr. Niebuhr to address us. Though not always agreeing with us, he at least has given us a great deal of thought to the issues we champion. Watch out for this man. He's very smooth and calculating, but his ideas are essentially vicious. Thank you, Mr. Chase, and thank you, Miss Rankin, for your stubborn, though wrong-headed pacifism. 
It helps to sharpen the debate and keep us awake. But seriously, we are now faced with a social and military crisis of monumental proportions in Europe and the Far East. Both Germany and Japan have embarked on a campaign to dominate and control their respective parts of the world. Germany is pursuing its goals in the service of a ghastly Nazi ideology that declares most of the human race to be slaves and all of the Jews to be rodents who deserve nothing better than extermination. Japan, for its part, is consumed by a desire to subjugate all of the Pacific Rim nations to fulfill its imperial desires of conquest for the grandeur and glory of its empire. And what are we doing in this country to combat these menacing forces instead of intervening when the very foundations of civilization are at stake We fold our arms and rest upon our precious neutrality in order to keep our lily-white hands from getting dirty. All this while our struggling English allies are being bombed into oblivion and our friends in other nations are begging for help. If we disgrace, it is a disgrace, that our country, which prides itself so much on being both brave and free, can sit idly by and watch the rest of the world descend into chaos and totalitarianism. No, my friends, no! We must intervene soon in this conflict at some point or risk being tossed upon the dustbin of history. Very impressive, Mr. Niebuhr. Any reactions from the rest of our panel? Yes, Mr. Chase, I can respond. I'm surprised you didn't ask me to speak earlier. Could be I'm not too popular right now. My name is Jeanette Rankin, and I am a congressional representative from the great state of Montana and a longtime pacifist. I was one of the few members of Congress who voted against the entry of our country into World War I. And for that, I was branded a traitor by most of the newspapers in my home state. I have heard the specious arguments just used by Mr. Niebuhr before during the debate over our entry into World War I. It was said then that the Kaiser, or King of Germany, was a vicious brute who, with his henchmen, wanted to enslave and dominate all the peoples and nations in Western Europe. Therefore, it was said we had to stop this man so we could make the world safe for democracy. For this goal, we sent thousands of our young men to a grisly death in the trenches of Europe in order to bring back order and freedom to our world. All of this was presented as an immense adventure from which our country would rapidly emerge as grandly victorious. 
And what did we then gain from all this hoopla? Nothing but ruin, death, and debt. No glory in that, I can assure you. I will never vote for war. Of that, you can be assured. <laughs> well spoken, Miss Rankin. Well spoken, indeed, but completely wrong. Sometimes, like at present, it may be necessary to fight and destroy tyranny before it destroys us. I was awaiting your reply, Mr. Niebuhr. You must know that fighting to destroy tyranny only ends by creating more tyranny. It just continues an endless cycle of violence. Well, despite the lack of agreement among our panelists, it is time for us to wrap up our discussion this morning. Any last comments? Yes. I would like to say a few final words. It's clear from our discussion here that extreme views can lead to extreme measures. I would like to mention another approach. That is the approach of negotiation and arbitration between the differing points of view. As I said in the beginning, this is what I would like to recommend to our country at this crucial time. And it is also the point of view, as I understand it, now espoused by our America First friends. As neutral parties, we try to isolate ourselves from being embroiled in the conflicts that now plague our world. That is why we are called isolationists. We do this so we can remain impartial and assist others to find common ground in order to achieve peaceful settlement of disputes. I will try to persuade our president to work harder in this way to achieve this goal, possibly in an international conference of some sort, sponsored, of course, by our country. I will have more to report on my efforts at a later time. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lindbergh. Your approach ought to help cool down some of the hot tempers shown by some of our panelists. But thanks to each of you for participating in our stimulating discussion. And thanks to all of you in the audience for attending today. Let all of us hope for a more peaceful and less conflict-ridden year to come. Well, suffice it to say that 1941 did not turn out to be a more peaceful year. Japan attacked Pearl Harbor Naval Base in December of that year. The America First Committee immediately dissolved in a high tide of pro-war sentiment. President Roosevelt and the general public in this country instantly aband abandoned neutrality and almost everyone in our country beat the war drums to usher in World War II. Reinhold Niebuhr was now viewed as a prophet. 
All ideas of a negotiated settlement of world conflicts disappeared. With the concurrence of the Senate, the United States House of Representatives voted 388 to 1 to declare war on Germany and Japan. Can anyone guess who the one vote was? <laughs> the only dissenting vote was cast by Jeanette Rankin. Sticking to her pacifist principles, she was soon voted out of office and denounced once again as a traitor. She did have her day later, however, when she became a leader in promoting programs to assist veterans and also as a top peace advocate in the anti-Vietnam War movement, the crusade that lasted through the 1960s and 70s. Today, there is a statue honoring her memory erected on the grounds of the state capital of Montana. And with that, so ends our play. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.